I'm Noel Holzman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. Today on the show, building up science-based startups in Canada. My name is Sonia Senek. I'm the executive director of the Creative Destruction Lab. We run out of six universities, five in Canada and one in the United States. The Creative Destruction Lab takes young, science-based tech companies and puts them together with experienced entrepreneurs who can help them grow. The lab focuses on several areas, including artificial intelligence, health, and cities. It recently launched a space stream with Canadian astronaut Chris Hatfield. Sonia Senek says the Creative Destruction Lab is all about giving startups access to good judgment. She believes there's a market failure for that in Canada. So what is judgment? So an uh, entrepreneur wakes up in the morning and has a list of a thousand things to do to build their business. And the most probable outcome for any startup is that they will fail. That's the most probable outcome. Lots of businesses start and they fail. And the thesis of CDL is that it's not because they don't have great ideas. It's not because they don't work hard enough. It's not because they don't you know, have access to capital or an injection of capital. It's actually a failure in, in the marketplace for judgment. So again, judgment would be taking that list of a thousand things that you have to do in the morning and picking the three that you're going to focus on requires judgment. So there's that gap in between your big list of uh, you know, have to do's to, you know, your three must, absolutely must do's. And the CDL uh, takes ventures through this process to provide them with access to interacting with fellows and associates, experienced entrepreneurs who have judgment, who have developed judgment over decades of working, you know, building their own businesses, going through the scaling process, understanding the struggles around, you know, any of the the hurdles that they've gone through in their careers. They've developed judgment and they have it, but you can't walk down to Bay Street and buy five units of judgment, right? You, it's not it's not for sale. Is there anything sort of unique, uniquely Canadian about either side of that equation, either our, our strength in science or our lack of judgment, to use that expression? Yeah, so... Um, I think that um, we definitely have the strength in, specifically right now, the strength of the AI research and the computer science department at U of T, for example, or the, you know, AI research hub out of Montreal. You know, we have um, stars, researchers in, in Canada and the opportunity to really build commercialized businesses out of this research. Um, so I think we're uniquely positioned in, in that sense that we're, we're very strong in, in science research. Part of the description of the CDL is massively scalable science-based companies. Is there an emphasis on the massively scalable versus the science-based? Like, how do you how do you view companies that are appropriate so candidates? So we're looking for companies that have a unique advantage in their marketplace. Um, so we're not looking at companies that are building apps, for example, apps that are fairly repeatable or any sort of technology that's very repeatable where they'll, you know, they'll be in a highly saturated marketplace. So if a company has, you know, specific IP around a, a certain invention or a certain research that they've developed in a university, for example, a newly minted master student or PhD student who has focused in on specific research and is ready to take that and potentially make it into a commercialized business. And it has the potential to be highly unrepeatable, so highly unique, and give them that advantage to, um, to massively scale. How do you evaluate the, the uniqueness or the distinctiveness of the technology? Because while there could be you know really great things happening at you know, UBC and Queens, McGill, U of T, uh, there's also things happening at Berkeley and Harvard and Oxford, Cambridge. You know, like For sure. They're everywhere, right? Yes. So how do you know 
okay, this is something that's worthy of investment and further attention. Right. Uh, so I'd say that um, this year, for example, we had over 1,800 applications for the program, and that's for 375 spots, um, which you know, is the, the largest amount of applications we've had in in the history of the CDL, which has been around for six years. Um, so I think getting a sense of what's in the marketplace, getting a sense of what types of companies are are, are being developed, ventures that are that are uh, being founded, um, is really important. So understanding where, where the research is happening, understanding, you know, market trends um, is something that we, we pay very close attention to, to, to see, you know, you know, where is sort of the next generation of, of tech happening? So we started our quantum machine learning pr- program, for example, last year. And um, it's a program focused in and around the intersection of machine learning applied on, you know, quantum-based computing hardware. So uh, we have companies that are effectively pre-seed stage, like very, very early, developing projects around problems that they believe that quantum machine learning is u- uniquely positioned to solve. Um, and that is uh, following sort of the trend of seeing the developments in quantum computing technologies and seeing that um, advance, um, being able to offer a program that can help companies grow in that space. There's eight streams, that, that's correct? So we're running 15 cohorts, uh, which a cohort is a group of 25 companies across our six sites, uh, five in Canada and one in the United States. And within those cohorts, we do have specialized streams. And we offer uh, seven streams out of Toronto. So there's blockchain AI, cities, health, AI, quantum machine learning, space, and um, we have our prime stream as well. We're running a specialized energy stream out of CDL Rockies in Calgary. And we're also running our health stream out of CDL West. So our CDL Health Stream is actually running out of two sites, CDL West in Vancouver and CDL Toronto. And so each cohort has a maximum of 25 companies. And you said there was 1,800 applicants this um, in this year. Did you see some focus more like in AI blockchain versus energy or, or were they fairly distributed across the the, uh, the stream spectrum? So we did say the, see the application of um, AI applied to many of the streams, you know, across applications in, in many of the streams. But there's, we say we have a, a great deal of interest in, in all the streams. We, we responded to creating these streams um, around stars. You know, we, we created the space stream because we had the opportunity to work with Chris Hadfield as, yeah. as our founding fellow for the space stream. Um, you know, we created our AI stream a few years ago, uh, started in 2015, because of the strength of the computer science community and department at uh, the University of Toronto. There was so much AI research happening, and they sort of saw this market signal in our prime stream where all these applications were coming in with AI-focused or machine learning-focused technologies. And the CDL said, okay, let's let's do a cohort just with this type of company or this type of technology. And that really is when it when the CDL went from sort of a local um, a local program to gaining international attention, international applications from ventures. And there's no obligation uh, on the part of the scientists to have had any affiliation with U of T or any Canadian institution, right? You are open to, to global entrance. Correct, yeah. And so can you see sort of where entrepreneurialism and science is happening from that perspective, like where the hotspots are, like Indonesia is, is 
producing lots of AI scientists or whatever the case is. I see. Um, I think we have a view that we're definitely attracting international talent and international ventures from from all over the world. You know, we had applications from over 55 countries in our pool this year. Um, so I think as time goes on, we'll we'll learn more and more about where that could be. But as I mentioned, you know, it, it started in Canada in 2012, and majority of our applica- applicants are from from Canada for our for our Canadian sites. And then, of course, our CDL NYC out of uh, the NYU Stern School of Business attracted a, a great deal of New York-based and and U.S.-based ventures as well. Is there f- funding provided for the scientists? I'm using scientists as a description to refer to the companies. But oh, co- the companies. Com- oh, uh, so the CDL um, is offered for free. Yes. It is. It exists entirely on donations. Um, we have, for, so for the classical CDL model, the exchanges of, of your time. So the fellows and yes. associates volunteer their time. The scientists in our program who do technical assessments on the ventures volunteer their time to participate. And the ventures, um, the ventures I'm referring to are the companies yeah. in our cohort. Yes. Um, they, again, are, they cover their cost for travel to get to the site, to the, to the sessions from wherever their head offices may be. But it's an investment of their time and um, in engaging in the program. And what's offered to them is, uh, you know, being a part of this program um, and being, that's sort of the exchange, is yes. their, their performance and, and commitment to being a part of the program over the nine months. I presume the hope, if not expectation, is that the mentors, if they're venture capitalists or angel investors, will make an investment in some of the ventures. Does the CDL license any of the technology after the fact? Or No. No. Yeah. No, we don't. So the CDL, again, is providing that marketplace. And the fellows and associates have the opportunity, but are not obligated to invest in companies. Yeah. But what you'll see is typically by, you know, session three or four, when a venture is, we take them on their seed stage before, you know, maybe six to nine months before they need to raise their first round. Yeah. By that point, if let's say there's a great relationship between a fellow or associate and a, and a venture, and they're advising them at the end of the, each session day, um, the moderator in the room asks one question, which is who here is out of the fellows and associates is, you know, willing to spend four hours with this company over the next eight weeks. So one hour over two weeks. So it's an investment of their time, you yes. know? And if, you know, five hands go up, then, you know, five people are, are looking to spend that time advising that company session over session. Um, if no hands go up, then the company, the company's dropped from the program. You're listening to Open Concept. Today I'm talking to Sonia Senek, Executive Director of the Creative Destruction Lab. Next up, getting more women into science and tech and what entrepreneurship looks like in space. In terms of the additional sort of criteria that you employ when you're looking at uh, potential uh, ventures mm-hmm. to onboard, are there issues around sort of diversity and inclusion, like in terms of encouraging more uh, female-led companies, or are you just purely looking at the patent or the technology in, in place? So the the makeup of the team is very important. I think the founders team and the background of the founders, whether it's their educational background, their, you know, their career history, 
how the founders met, you know, how the team works together. Companies go through a series of interviews um, over the process, uh, which we're currently in right now. We haven't yeah. actually set our, our cohort for 2018-2019. We're in the application interview process right now. And it's really important that the that um, we get a sense of the commitment level of the founders and, and, and the makeup. And so to speak to diversity, you know, the diversity perspective, of course, we know that there's underrepresentation of of women and minority groups in the STEM industry. Yeah. It's historically just shown. What we're looking to do is actually affect change even earlier than when someone's ready to form a company. So we developed a few years ago something called the High School Girls Program yes. out of the CDL. And um, as you can imagine, the CDL session rooms, we do one. So it's basically five days across the year. We do one every eight weeks. And the rooms are packed, right? The ventures are there. The fellows and associates are there. The MBA students are there. Um, our partners are there. Business school professors, you know, staff. So the rooms are really packed. And but. Every time we run a session, we reserve a certain number of seats um, specifically for young uh, female high school students. And anywhere from ages, so from grade 9 to 12, they can apply to participate in the high school girls program. And effectively, they get the opportunity to have the CDL experience. So they get paired with a mentor. They, you know, they follow around, you know, Barney Pell for the day and sit yeah. in on all his one-on-one meetings. They sit in the CDL session room. They get to meet uh, some ventures. We do some programming with a founder sort of Q&A with them. And, you know, how did you, how did you go into engineering? And, you know, what does it take to run a business and, and that kind of thing? And And I think the most important thing that we're doing there is just, you know, showing these young women what is possible and representation matters, but exposure to that representation matters. So if you have, we have some great companies that are either, you know, female led or have a diverse found, founder team. And, you know, just for these young students to sit in the room and see, you know, different types of people leading com- leading companies, you know, with different backgrounds, maybe an art background and then pivoted into, you know, yes. Yes. pivoted into business or got to engineering later in their career. Um, you know, any which way that people come come across that, you know, entrepreneurial bug, we're hoping to inspire a transformational experience in these young students so that they, you know, potentially, you know, a couple years down the road when they're making their university, university selections, maybe they think about engineering, or maybe they think about business uh, when they graduate, um, you know, from college or study or maybe when they just graduate from high school maybe they'll want to start a company and we won't see the effects of this program obviously until you know six to eight years from now after it's run for a couple of years and and these students go through and, and continue to grow but we're really hopeful that we can provide um just support fixing the pipeline and provide an opportunity yeah. for that it would seem to me to be the exceptional high school student that would be prepared to sort of engage fully in those kinds of conversations, you'd have to have a lot of confidence and wherewithal to be present and, and to really capitalize on that opportunity, I, I think. I, I see it as, as more something that uh, girls perhaps would be positioned and comfortable to play when they're actually in university. Mm. I, I say this only because I, I, now I have a, a daughter in university <laughs> and I see her, her confidence today versus what it would have been in grade 11. Yeah to sit across from someone like yourself and have a really meaningful sort of uh, dialogue around what the opportunities are and what the constraints are and what the technology is, right? That's a tough thing for a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old to do. Right. So I think grade 10 is a really pivotal point. I think it's when when students decide whether or not they'll continue with... um, you know, for grade 11 and 12 with, with physics and calculus and, you know, you, yes. you make, you select after yes. grade 10, I think. And, and so I'd say that the expectation is not for them to sit and have a rich dialogue 
on these things. Yeah. It really is for them to just come in and enjoy the experience of being around the excitement of, you know, technology, STEM, business development, you know, in that room with that, the energy in the room is really, really exciting and really inspirational. And just for them to to be a sponge to that and and think like, hey, you know, if if you know she can build a company maybe i can build a company yes, or yeah. if if hey that you know that that gentleman is from you know grew up in the area i grew up from and you know he he'll, he built his own company like yes. maybe i could do that and yeah. and and it really is i think those decisions are made earlier and earlier like the, as you know the world is moving so fast yes. um that i i think that once they once students get to university and have already selected you know their path it it may we're hopeful we can yeah, impact yeah. them well i i hope you're right and it's something that 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 i've experienced being the host of this podcast which has been a wonderful opportunity to talk to entrepreneurs but you then quickly see who are the entrepreneurs in canada right of who are growing companies now and who have developed companies of a certain companies of a certain size and stature right. and it skews male it's really challenging to find women mm-hmm. and and i wonder like from your perspective of how how do we how do we fix it? Is it is it the is it the high school inclusion? Like, yeah. How do we how do we address this? I think that it truly is, you know, inspiring that sort of mindset of anything is possible, and that confidence to to go into you know areas of science and technology where that have historically been very male. Just inspiring young women to do that, and and showcasing when we have when we have the opportunity to to sort of expose and inspire young women to women who have done it you know like that yeah. there's something there that's intangible that you can't you can't reach out and touch it with your hands it's something that happens where you see somebody like hey she's just like me you know and that's something that you know i'm personally really passionate about doing um through I, we were just talking before about i that i coach rugby yes. and staying involved in rugby was really important for me as a coach um because uh, when I was playing, there were little to no women coaches yes. in our sport. And so as I retired, I retired when I was about 24 after I graduated university and I thought, had a good run, you know, I want to hang up the boots. Um, but I thought, how can I give back to the sport that's given me so much? And the best way I thought to give back was I want to stay involved and coach. So I've coached at the high school level, the club level, and the provincial level as well. And um, there's something that happens there where you know, people have asked me so many times, what's your measure of success as a coach? Like, what's going to be, how will you know that you, you know, you, you were successful? And, you know, with the Ontario team, I've taken them to nationals three times. We've medaled three times. Um, I was the first um, female head coach to win a national championship. But the true measure of success, like that, those are those are results. The true measure of success is that so many of the women that I've coached are now coaching. Yes. You know, and like, and and there's something that's happening there where it's just going to become commonplace for women to stay involved in administrative or leadership roles in the sport. And I take that, and I know I'm making sort of a sports analogy, but I take that, and I, I think that can be applied to something like STEM and science technology, where you know, the more you just have people of diverse backgrounds, um, ethnicities, you know, gender expression, etc., the more the more of a mix you have, the more the next generation sees it's possible because they'll find themselves in that mix and say, hey, if, you know, she or he can do it, I can do it. And I think that's something that's really, really powerful. My daughter and her friends were all top students. They all went to university and they had their choice of universities. Yeah. Most of them have, have gone on to do science, but uh, none of them were recommended to go and do engineering or business, right? So, that, you know, chemistry and biology and 
but like I'm like, well, who's who's talking? I mean, <laughs> who's talking to these to these young women? How come they're not saying go into engineering? I think one of the things that I mean, I I'm an engineer, so I did yes. engineering. Um, is engineering so creative? And I think that that sometimes gets lost. I think some somewhere in the communication or marketing about engineering in the world is you know engineering is you know, hard science and it's really tough. And the thing people talk about is that it's just so difficult, but it is challenging, but it's also this really exciting creative process. Like anything from the smallest engineering project to, you know, large scale capital projects. I had the, um, the privilege of working on, uh, you know, pretty massive capital projects in, in the first 10 years of my career, working for a consulting firm, uh, based out of Canada. And we worked for, um, big companies, you know, putting together, you know, nickel, gold, copper facilities or additions to their existing facilities. And the process from concept all the way through to execution is such a collaborative, creative process. And that's what I loved about it the most. And it's, I think that's one story about engineering that doesn't get told enough to students before they apply to it. Yeah. Um, where it's, yes, the school is hard and it they put you through, you know, they coach you through a way of thinking about problems and they really are teaching you how to problem solve and how to collaborate on a team. And then when you go out into the world and you become an engineer, it's you, you realize that you have such a sort of a creative and technical license to, to create and build things. And that's the exciting part. I think that that's, at least that's what the spark was for me. Um, and I think that if we talked about it that way to, to young people, I think they, that you'd see a lot more. Of your most recent uh, group of graduates, how many of those ventures were led by women? So across the entire CDL network last year, we had a weighted average of um, 25% of our venture teams had at least one female founder on the team. And is that a uh, an expectation or a, a standard that you're employing going forward so that when you're looking at potential um, candidates that, that you, you, you want to see that representation? So we're going to continue to measure it, okay. but um, ultimately we are looking for stars. We're looking for okay. the top performers and, and that's completely agnostic to any sort of background aside from, you know, their performance and, and their, their potential. And that could be a combination of factors on their founder team, like that a diversity in a founder team can be seen as a real asset, diversity of experiences, diversity of, you know, technical backgrounds, diversity of um, any sort of any sort of type um, between the venture founders can be seen as a real asset because you have different perspectives in the room that'll only sort of pressure test ideas and, and potentially lead to better outcomes. But, um, but ultimately we look for performance above anything. What do you mean by quantum computing? And and I'm I'm loath to take us down a complete rabbit hole where I, where I where, but I this is a term one hears and has heard about for for some time. But what does it actually look like in in application in in a tangible way that people could sort of make sense of? What do we know or use that actually applies and leverages quantum computing? So. Currently, there are a lot of companies trying to develop um, software applications that can be used on quantum computing technologies or hardware. So we have a partnership with D-Wave yes, at, okay. out of Vancouver. So yeah. they, um, they, in our partnership, they provide access to the ventures in the program a certain number of hours a month. They provide access to utilize their hardware so they can run and test their you know they work on the cloud and you know do cloud computing for for some of their work and then they can run some of their tests and run simulations on uh the 
on the D-Wave machine as well. We have a, a relationship and a partnership with Rigetti in a similar fashion. And um, I think the advantage is that it can assist in simulation. So something like materials engineering, the world of materials engineering has the, op- has the potential to be really transformed by quantum computing because currently the way that we test materials is deterministic. So um, you you know, do a pour, you create a steel beam, you test it after, and you, you know, we, we have the process down in that we know the processing steps and the metallurgy of how to get steel to a certain strength, et cetera, um, but then you test it after. Um, what quantum computing may have the opportunity, you know, in the coming years to do is, is to simulate on a molecular level. So when you simulate on a molecular level and you apply machine learning to that, you can actually predict the way that molecules yes, will interact okay. to each other, and you can then simulate the way you should create a material, for example. And what that does is it it more efficiently, it helps you more efficiently create materials, right? So in, yes. so yes. so you're able to to simulate on such a small um, on such a small scale that you're able to predict and then form materials like that's sort of the the future. Yes. Um, anticipated dream, I guess, is that we'd be able to do, you know, our structures would be more efficient, our cars would be lighter, because we'd be, you know, that much smarter on how we develop materials. Got it. On space, where do you see the sort of the greatest massively scalable opportunities? And and does that include weaponization? And if so, is that problematic? So currently, as you know, this is our first year running the cohort. Yes. And um, so we are currently going through applications and interviews and assessing the companies that are applying to the space program. Um, I'll, ju- I'll just say to this point, we've never, we haven't seen anything even near the line. Okay. Um, so um, I will tell you the types of companies that we've seen, which is anything from uh, tracking space debris, which is a, it's a huge problem, yes. a hugely expensive problem. Yeah. Um, so space debris, there's thousands of pieces of it um, in orbit. And if we don't know how to predict and track it, it can, you know, cause catastrophic events to critical satellites or any other sort of spacecraft um, in orbit. Anything from that to um, improved space uh, satellite propulsion systems, so more efficiently allocating power, for example, Um, and also to uh, an example of uh, another type of technology would be um, remote sensing. Uh, for terrestrial applications. So, for example, predicting where future mine sites on Earth could be using sensing data at from the satellites. Future so, mine sites? Yeah, on so oh, terrestrial. Mine, like yeah, mining. mining. Mining, Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Um, the, uh, no, that, that, no, that totally, mm-hmm. that totally makes sense. But, but you know, one hears about uh, Space Force and... Oh. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but... And, and I sort of think, okay, well, is that... If you're a Canadian entrepreneur, do you think, well, okay here's a business opportunity, right? Uh, and, and I wondered if you had, like, it's a hypothetical, but would you, would the CDL have kind of a position on it? Like, oh, we, we'd rather not go down that path. So I think we'll learn a lot in, uh, as we go through the finalized, finalized, final steps of our application process, we'll learn a lot about what types of companies are being formed around, around space technologies. Um, again, the, we've, we've selected to, to do a specialized stream in space. Uh, you know, number one, because we had the opportunity to work with Chris Hadfield. Yes. And number two, because, you know, recently we've seen that a drop in the cost of access to lower Earth orbit sure. has opened up opportunities for tech companies that have yeah. never been there before. And, you know, we want to be, you know, part of 
helping these companies grow and you know, applying the CDL model to the space industry and see if we can help advance companies um, to, you know, the, basically the, you know, the advancement of, of technologies that will improve the experience of human life. Thank you so much for coming. It was great to have you here. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. That was Sonia Senek, Executive Director of the Creative Destruction Lab. That's it for our show today. Thanks for listening to Open Concept. You can get in touch on Twitter at Yahoo Finance CA, and be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noel Halsman, and I'll see you next week.